Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's Opinion Line. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan this week. I hope you all had a lovely Easter weekend. It really was a fabulous weekend. Weather-wise, the sun was lovely and it is a lovely sunny day out there today, but I don't think we'll be putting on the shorts and t-shirts today. It's a bit colder today. Uh, coming up this morning, I'll be catching up with Angie Ben-Hafaf about her sons Hassan and Hussein. You'll remember the boys became household names after they were born conjoined back in 2009. Well, they featured in a new documentary over the weekend and if you haven't seen it it's definitely worth a watch it's only 14 minutes long it's a lovely piece of tv i'll also be speaking with tammy darcy founder of the shona project which helps support and empower thousands of teenage girls across ireland plus the 19 year old woman who's caring for her mum who has chronic arthritis she's just one of thousands of young carers across the country who are caring for a family member at home i'll be chatting to her after 10 o'clock this morning as ever we want your opinions and comments call us on 1850 715 996 Text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96 or email um, opinion at 96fm.ie. But first this morning, um, with continued concerns around large crowds gathering in public amenities across the city over the past few days, warm temperatures and blue skies saw crowds descend on the lock, Bellsfield and at Kennedy Key in the city despite the level 5 restrictions. Independent Councillor Ken O'Flynn joins me on the line this morning. Uh, Good morning, Councillor O'Flynn. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? And it's Ken, for God's sake. How long, <laughs> How long have we known each other now? <laughs> I was asking Terry, what's the etiquette? Do I just call him Ken? Or do I call him Ken? Ken, Ken, is, Ken is fine. Ken, Ken is, is fine. fine. <laughs> okay. So, Ken, um, this, on Friday, I was speaking to Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh about the crowds that were gathering at Bell's Field. And he had said that the guards would be closely monitoring the area over the weekend. But unfortunately, we did have similar scenes again there on Friday. What happened? Well, on Friday, Saturday and on Sunday, uh, I received reports from people living in the area. Um, there was large crowds started gathering uh, from Friday afternoon on. Um, guards did turn up. At, I believe there was about four or five squad cars were, were on the scene at one stage. People was were discouraged and asked to leave. Um, but what amazed me is that these were not local people. Um, once you do a small bit of research on social media and you see who's tagged themselves in big bell fields in the last uh, in the last couple of hours or the last couple of days, you will see that there is a plethora of people that are one in particular that I knew myself who came up from Middleton, um, a gentleman at the age of 27. So, you know, it's not young people. It's not it's not 14 or 15-year-olds 
um, that we associate with drinking in fields and things like that. Mm. I suppose my, my, my deep concern is that after this uh, congregation of people were, were moved from Bellsfield, uh, I, the same thing also happened in Tarnary, by the way, and uh, uh, to a lesser extent in Fitzgerald's Park. We've seen the footage uh, going around of Kennedy's Key, which would, had a barrage of people carrying bags of cans and alcohol, etc. Uh, and we, we've seen the social media going around with that. So it happened north and south of the, uh, mm. of the city. My own experience of Ellsfield is that guards dispersed people uh, and then people came back again and moved their party or their their celebration of drinking uh, down onto fever hospital steps. And that resulted in some late night fights and some arguments, bottles being thrown on one another, guards coming again on the scene, uh, dispersing people, etc. What amazes me from all the social media that we see, the amount of people that we see out there, there was only one arrest over the weekend. To my mind, that's not acceptable. First of all, it's illegal to drink on the streets and it's illegal to drink in public spaces and public parks. There's not only a Cork City Council bylaw, which was introduced early in the 90s about that, where a fine is attached to it, but there's also um, league, there's also um, national law about drinking on the streets. And Ken, um, what kind of an impact is... What Sorry. kind of an impact is it having on the locals? Because this well, is their area where they do want to go out and walk around or maybe go to the shop or whatever. So well, well this is the thing. You have, you know, you have Roach's buildings um, in very close proximity, which is full of 65 plus generally mm. uh, people because those houses are designed for this over 55 market for Cork City Council. You have people that are living in Patrick's Hill in, in and in the greater Oliol Road facility that use it to walk their dogs, that use it to take recreation and exercise. They felt that they were isolated and frozen out of their own community, and frozen out of their own park. Uh, I had emails from people, I had text messages from people, I had uh, Facebook messages from people that are living in the area that felt unsafe, that couldn't get to sleep, that were very fearful about the bins because last week, as you'll remember, and if you were talking to the Lord Mayor about it, you mm. saw that there was a number of uh, wheelie bins taken out and burnt uh, on Bellsfield. And that's the reality of what was happening. Oh, we seem to have lost Ken there. Um, maybe Terry and Fergal might be able to get him back. Just as we were speaking to Ken there, um, the Irish Times this morning is reporting that just 0.1% of COVID cases are traced to outdoor transmission. And it should be remembered that 20% is from an un- unknown cause and many of these could be from outdoor contact. UCC's Professor of Molecular Virology, Liam Fanning, is not convinced that outdoor gatherings are safe. And he's been explaining why to News Talk's Shane Coleman this morning. And we have a clip of that. Do we have a clip of that? <laughs> is it low risk or is there more risk when you're, when you're um, pretty close to somebody? Well, that's obviously, if you're face on to somebody and you're, you're chatting away and you're kind of laughing and having a good old time, you're probably expelling more air. And if you are infectious, you're expelling, expelling virus in the direction of your, the person you're talking to. I've seen some data, which, you know, in the last, uh, to the, the 1918 uh, flu pandemic, where people were advised to walk uh, beside each other and yeah. talk kind of yeah. in front side of each other. Side by side, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Side by side. So um, unless everybody's going to sit like, you know, I don't know, in rows uh, in uh, Stephen's Green. 
Um, and that was um, UCC's Professor of Molecular Virology. And we have uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn back on the line there. Ken, you heard what um, Professor Liam Fanning said there about outdoor transmission. So do you think that um, with locals up around Bellsfield that they are concerned about contracting COVID-19 well, uh, from uh, these uh, gatherings? Look, the reality is, is that we're all worried about... Uh, COVID-19, you know. Mm. That's why we're all wearing masks when we're going into shops. That's why we're all um, staying away from one another. That's why we're not seeing our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, or, or, you know, that's why we're not seeing people. That's why we're isolating. That's why when vulnerable people are isolating and and being careful about it, you know. Um, That's why when we're taking our walk, if we are taking exercise, that we're standing well back from people we know um, and chatting to them in that kind of direction if if we're on the street, you know. The reality is that a lot of people are suffering and taking an awful lot of precautions and, and being very careful. And they've been doing this for the year. And look, I'm the first one to put my hands up and say, I'm sick of being indoors. I'm, I can't wait for the pub to open again or for the restaurants to open again. I can't wait to see friends and be able to travel to see my niece or my nephew again. Um, that's the reality that, 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 that I'm going through. And there's hundreds of other people out there. And Ken, you're looking for... Last week was, was, uh, this weekend was crazy altogether, you know? And you're calling for this area of, of Bellsfield to be temporarily closed for the well, lockdown and what does well, that include do well, you mean well, during the day as well no I, I'm saying that it should be open to locals mm. uh, and, and and I think that would be fair to, peop- to, to people that live in the area that they can use the facility because if we have a situation and, and you know it's very easy for anyone to track this all you have to do is put in Patrick's Hill in, in Instagram and you will find the locations of people that travelled up to Patrick's Hill that have no business in Patrick's Hill mm. that aren't that are without outside first of all they're outside their five kilometre radius and second of all they, 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 they're not local to the area they, they live in areas as I mentioned there was one young gentleman that I, that I know um, that came that travelled from Middleton up there you know, uh, that's the reality of it. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we have to we have to be careful. I think the guards need to step up as well. This idea of discouraging people and disbanding them without taking names and addresses, without imposing fines, people have to realise that you don't just won't, you won't just be moved on. You will be fined. You will have a penalty for breaking the laws. Look, nobody likes the laws at the moment. Everybody is sick of being shut inside doors and the whole lot. But mm. we are doing it to help people to protect people and protect our elderly people. I received a tremendous amount of abuse, abuse online because I condemned the actions of Bellsfield and Kennedy's Key from people and, you know, some of the comments saying it's only affecting old people, but yeah. that's somebody's granny, that's somebody's grandfather, that's somebody's father, that's somebody's mother. We've had 4,780 deaths in Ireland since this began. You know, we have to have respect for those people and their families you know, that have gone through that from COVID. That's the reality of it. But getting back to the other point, it is illegal to use public realm for drinking. And it's not a bear garden. It's for taking exercise, it's for enjoying, and it's for everybody. You can't take over an area and expect no consequences out of it without having any respect for the locals in the area. And is this just a lockdown issue? Has it always been an area where people would gather for drinking or has it just gotten worse well, over the yeah, last few weeks? We've, we've certainly had problems in the past with illegal dumping on Bellsfield. We've had problems in the past with people holding, you know, um, drinking there. You know, it's an iconic area. You have a beautiful view from the area. Um, the local residents association there are very active and very proactive in keeping the place clean. Um, there's a number of ro- ro- residents associations actually that uh, around that, around that area. 
Um, so, you know, they're, they're doing a fantastic job in keeping it clean and keeping it neat and tidy and doing tidy towns, etc. Um, but there has been problems in the past, but nothing to this level, nothing to this level whatsoever. And the amount of rubbish that was left and bottles and broken glass that was left there was unacceptable. It happened in the Glen Park as well. It happened, as I said, it happened in the Stroud's Park at Kennedy Key. But I think, uh, Fiona, the, look, we'll all agree, I think, that the government has been a bit lapidatical when it comes to getting the information out there to us with um, lockdown and procedures and the whole lot. That needs to be re-looked at. I accept that. I think we're all browned off, obsessed with lockdown. We're all sick of it. We're all tired of it. And that has to, we have to come up with a new plan now that protects people and allows the economy and allows society going on as well. And I accept that there is a huge mental health issue out there for younger people as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the, the but the people that were out drinking from what I could maintain that I saw on social media were over 18. It wasn't, it wasn't kids. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't what we associate with traditional bushing. You know, it was people. And and what amazed me was a number of people that are in business in the city, you know, would be in their 20s, 30s in business in the city that are complaining continuously that I can't open my business. I can't do this and I can't do that because of restrictions. You know, you're part of the problem. You're okay. part of the reason that we can't open businesses mm-hmm. because once you float the law like this and once things start spreading again, you know, the longer that goes on, the longer lockdown will go on. Okay. All right. Thanks, Ken. Listen, thanks very much no for joining us this morning. Thank okay, you, take bless. care. So what are your thoughts? Is it time to close places like Bellsfield to people who aren't from the area? Were you fed up seeing the pictures at the weekend of large gatherings? Let us know. Call us on one eight fifty seven one five nine nine six. Text or WhatsApp 83 After the break, the Facebook leak of more than half a billion people's data and what it could mean for you. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96FM. Now, it was revealed over the weekend that more than half a billion Facebook users' personal data was breached. Adrian Weckler, tech editor for the Irish Independent, has a piece about it in the paper today. Adrian, Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Uh, so what exactly are we dealing with here, Adrian? Yeah, well, as you said, um, a lot of people's Facebook data was hacked. And this actually happened a couple of years ago. But in the last uh, couple of months, that those files, that database of mm. people's details has been circulating again. It's 1.5 million people in Ireland. Now, I've had a look through it. And what's worrying about it is there aren't there aren't passwords exposed, um, and there's a limited amount of things like address or, or email. But everybody's mobile number is there now. The pro- one of the problems there is that you can search the database uh, by uh, location, by full name, because it's full name, mobile uh, number, but also by job. So there are an awful lot of sensitive um, uh, positions, uh, jobs where if you were ill-intentioned or you're a stalker or you want revenge or you're trying to harass them, you can just look them up. I mean, I'm talking about judges, prison officers, guardy, and, and in many cases, the profession is listed, listed at managers of uh, abuse centres as well. So there's, there's a real problem here um, because the, once the data is leaked, it's leaked, like it's, it's published now and it's kind of circulating and it's really not that hard to get it. 
And I know you don't want to give out the link or the right. database um, because obviously that's just opening it up to so many different people. Mm. But like, is it something that we should be worried about? Is there some way that we can check if our own data is out there? Um, at the moment, there's no... There, there is a service called haveibeenpawned.com. It's a really, really good website, very reputable. And you go to that site, haveibeenpawned.com. If you go to that website and put in your email address, it will tell you generally whether that email address, i.e. you, your account, mm. um, has been part of a data breach, like any big data breach in the last couple of years. The problem is there aren't that many email addresses in this particular Facebook data leak. It's mostly mobile numbers and there isn't as of yet a service where you can check uh, whether your uh, mobile number um, has been leaked. Now, you're right. I mean, it took me 20 minutes from from Google, you know, from yeah. Google to, to find that. But, I, you know, I'm not going to point anybody towards a link or anything like that because that is kind of tantamount to sort of exposing it um, as well. I suppose there is still a responsibility. I think questions are going to be asked to Facebook here because they say this was kind of an oldish hack, a couple of years old, but I checked a lot of details, including my own, by the way. I have a very unusual last name, Weckler. <laughs> and so the first thing I checked, yeah, absolutely, completely correct, correct mobile number. And when you think about it, we're often advised in these situations, oh, change your password, change this. You don't change your mobile number. Mm. Very often. I mean, you certainly don't change it every year or every two. Like most people will have the same mobile number they had five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. That's, that's normal. So the problem here is that um, these numbers now are out there. They're searchable against your name and in some cases your job. And uh, Facebook is, is going to have to, uh, you know, face some, some answers here because they're not really doing much to update people, uh, you know, uh, as to their details being leaked here. And is there anything that the Data Protection Commissioner can do about this? And the Data Protection Commissioner says that they're on it, they're looking at it, but they have put in the proviso that because this was a couple of years old, it, the actual leak itself happened before the uh, full implementation of the GDPR, which was in the middle of, of 2018, mm-hmm. 2018-2019. And as such, Facebook don't face the full regulatory hammer that they would have. And had it had it happened uh, after that, so I wouldn't be expecting any regulatory sanction on Facebook. But they still have a moral obligation here to do something about this, because um, at the end of the day, these are Facebook users. Yes, the, the actual uh, breach happened a couple of years ago, but it's being published again. They they could. For people like you, I don't know if you use Facebook. I do, I do sometimes. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> they, they, they could just be a, a little bit more guidance. Say, look. No, like contact us to say, look, there is a, a breach uh, going around. This mm-hmm. is what um, these are the details that are there. This is what you can do. These are the safeguards you know we're putting in place at the very, very least. Because as I said, this now is a bit of a stalker's charter. Not only stalker, but also um, you know unscrupulous kind of marketeers, recruiters, like anyone who downloads this who wants to target you know any kind of profession, any kind of person and you know in, in a, a sensitive job they can do so and it's just i suppose another reminder of how much information we believe may be private is actually discoverable online just for you know the general public like you and me yeah absolutely um 
this is probably the thin end of the wedge. Uh, you know, anybody who's looked at this in any detail will know that in kind of the criminal underworld online, places like the dark web, you can get all sorts of information. As I, as I mentioned before, there is that uh, website, haveibeenpawned.com, and you can look up your own email address there, and it will tell you, it's a reputable site, it'll tell you um, which data breaches your email address has been uh, a part of uh, or a victim of, and it will tell you what details were compromised. But you're right. I mean, at this point, if you've been on the web for five or ten years, and if you do the normal things that normal people do, social media, web browsing, looking up websites, a bit of shopping stuff, mm. the chances are that you have been part of um, a, a substantial data breach. Okay. God, it's, it's kind of worrying, isn't it? It's kind of <laughs> what, what you put out there. And I mean, like, do you have had, would you have had to have your phone number on Facebook or... Well, the, the, I mean, yes, but like it was, it was common when you're signing up for Facebook to input your uh, mobile number. Right. They, they, they often asked for it as a, a security or a verification um, mm. method. And you kind of wouldn't think twice a lot of the time about putting in your mobile number, not just for Facebook, but for if you think of any of service or any sites you've signed up for, it's quite normal to put in, if it asks for your mobile number, you often will do it and you won't think mm. too hard. Um, about it. I also realize, I mean, it's possible that in one way we're being a little bit sensitive about this in the, in the sense that I, I tell younger people sometimes, do you know we used to have a big book where they used to publish everybody's phone number and their name and their address in this country, it was called a phone book, and they're horrified, you know, they, they can't believe we ever did that. So, I mean, that point has been made, and I don't want to make too much of, you know, uh, um, of this, but, you know, times have changed and there is a reasonable expectation of privacy, and also in those days with the phone book you couldn't text or harass somebody the way yeah. you can now. Uh, with a mobile number. So uh, I think the, the context has changed now. Um, and I do think it is something to worry about. And I do think Facebook should step up here and uh, they should do a little bit more than they're doing. Great stuff, Adrian. Listen, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Take care. Thanks, Phil. And listeners can read more about this in today's Irish Independent. Now, uh, coming up next, we'll be looking at the lack of secondary school places in East Cork. Tuesday's opinion line, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan. And our lines are open at 1850-715-996. You can text or WhatsApp 0833-969696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, we have had some comments come in in relation to the first call we had with Councillor O'Flynn about large gatherings across the city at the weekend. Dylan asks, how many arrests does Councillor O'Flynn want? Because at that rate, we'd have the entire city arrested for sitting out somewhere breathing fresh air. A listener contacted us via Facebook. If there is one thing you can be sure of is that important rules will not be enforced by the government. It is all theatre with them. Look at the quarantine mess up. Another listener got in touch to say, close or regulate the off-licences, just like the pubs had to close. It's the off-licences that are causing the problem. And John O'Donovan called to say, the whole business of five kilometres is ridiculous because because it's corralling people into smaller areas. Where do you expect kids to go? They're going together, and I personally think outdoors is safe. On a separate note, pandemic or no pandemic, the people around the lock are complaining about crowds using their neighbourhood as a toilet. The toilet has gone in the lock for 40 years and has never been replaced, and that is a disgrace. Now, the lack of secondary school places in East Cork continues to cause huge concern for parents. There's already fears that there won't be enough places come September, and on top of that, the new school development 
development in Carrigtool continues to move at a snail's pace. There may be some progress with news that the Taoiseach is to meet with principals in East Cork to discuss the problem. I'm joined on the line by Connor Newman from East Cork Educate Together. Good morning, Connor. How are you doing, Fiona? How are you? Welcome this morning. Um, East Cork Educate Together put out a press release towards the end of last week titled East Cork Secondary School Crisis. Uh, Crisis, that's a strong word. How much of a crisis is it in your view, Connor? Well, currently we're looking at up to 150 students in East Cork who don't know where they're going to secondary school next year. Um, And the issue has gotten worse year on year. Um, We're looking at a significant population growth in East East Cork far greater than the national average. Every year it's increasing and at the moment the only solution seems to be the sticking plaster option of throw in an extra class here, an extra class there. Every secondary school we have out here has already expanded as far as they can. They're all either at or over capacity and trying to get them to take on extra students is now it's creating an issue where you're adding streams to secondary schools that don't have space for these new streams to go into second year, third year, fourth year and so on. Mm. And these hundred children now who are facing into um, September with no school place, like what's going to happen to them? Where are they going to go? Well, as the, the year continues now, there will be offers refused and declined in different schools. You'll have population changes as people move and give up their places. So there won't be that many by the, by September but we're still talking a substantial number of students will be left fighting for a place or as we already have in East Cork, we have children here who are travelling round trips of 80 kilometres to the city and back for school every day because they couldn't find a place out here. And there is a meeting now with the Taoiseach. Do you fear that this meeting between the Taoiseach and the school principals will just be a talking <laughs> shop or do you see it as a positive movement? Well, definitely a positive Um the, our group started in, in 2018 solely to try and get an Educate Together secondary school in East Cork, but very quickly we realised the problem was far bigger than, than a choice of second level. It was a, a case of no second level available for so many kids. Since then, we've done a lot of work in fundraising, in compiling this report that we've now issued out, highlighting the fact uh, it's written by a statistical consultant taking data from the CSO Department of Education and Skills and the local area development plans and housing projections for East Cork, um, showing that the problem is growing exponentially and it's it's, it's due to get a hell of a lot worse if it's not dealt with now. Any engagement from government is fantastic. Obviously, we're hoping that the Minister for Education will get involved and is willing to engage with us at some point and go go through these findings with us so we can point out the areas that are that are critical to be dealt with ASAP. You did draw up a report and it highlights the number of kids that could be affected. Do you think that anyone is listening to you at this stage now and is this something that you will be raising with the Taoiseach? It's absolutely something we'll be raising with the Taoiseach and um, we put the report up online so it's available for anyone to look at. Um, it's, a, it's very important to parents who have kids currently who are looking for places that they should take a look at this go through and see the difficulties ahead and then contact their local representatives um, we've been lucky out here in East Cork we've had a lot of support from our local TDs we have um, James O'Connor has been raising this constantly for us in the Doyle along with them um, Pat Buckley but unless we get engagement from the Department of Education itself it's, it's you know it's kind of a wasted effort we have James O'Connor, Deputy James O'Connor, Fianna Fáil TD for East Cork on the line. Good morning, James. Good morning. 
Um, you heard what uh, Connor had to say there, and um, we, uh, you know there, there, there is this meeting with the Taoiseach later on. Um, do you think that this um, that this meeting is a good? Do you think it's a good uh, development in this whole area? I think it's certainly needed and it's timely considering the circumstances that we're in. Uh, I, I spoke to the Taoiseach about a month ago to explain to him just how bad the situation is and how far it has deteriorated. Uh, and I'm very thankful to him for actually uh, putting time in his schedule to have this meeting with the eight secondary school principals covering an area from Cove, Carrick, Middleton, down to Yall. And I think the Educate Together group, they have done sterling work here to just put into context just how bad the situation is, I attended the launch uh, of the of the of the uh, the campaign to get the report uh, in action in 2019 in Sage Restaurant in Middleton, uh, and you know we've come an awful distance now in terms of actually compiling the facts, the figures, and statistics. Uh, so just I want to say to the Educate Together group uh, and to the representative here this morning that uh, look, it's that that report is extremely helpful to show not only myself as an elected representative but also our ministers and those at cabinet just how significant uh, the problem is in the East Cork area. I've been highlighting this now for the last uh, for actually just over a year since I was elected to Dáil Éireann on a constant basis. Uh, I, I really uh, feel quite angry with the Department of Education in terms of their speed, in terms of, of dealing with issues in the East Cork area. Now, on, on a positive note, we have seen over 100 million euros in, in, in funding being progressed towards schools in the East Cork area alone in terms of new developments going into certain specific schools. Uh, but the slowdown, a significant slowdown in, 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 the, in the situation at Carrick-Tool School Complex uh, has been uh, very, very difficult to deal with. Uh, the Parents Association, Principal and Board of Management there have been putting significant uh, work into trying, trying to advance that. Uh, we had a meeting with the Minister for Education on that just a, a number of weeks ago and we're, we're told uh, and we're very hopeful uh, that that situation will be coming to an end in terms of the tendering process in, 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 in I think around sometime next month. So uh, I'm very, very hopeful that that fiasco will come to an end and it's long needed, it's, it's, it's long needed as well. So, okay, that's coming to an end, but when will parents actually see something happen in terms of digging or building a new school? So this is a very significant problem. Very much, I've, I've outlined that to the Minister and to, to Michal Martin as well. We have an issue come September where we have situations where the schools in the East Cork area are already full. We saw uh, one principal uh, in St. Mary's High School in Middleton go public with the fact that they haven't actually physically any more room. And he's not the only principal in that situation, which is what deeply troubles me. So now we have a situation where we can't quite establish where the additional capacity will, will be fit to go. So what I want to see happen to deal with the situation come September, which is the first, that's the first problem in front of us, is that the Department of Education would actually bring a team of people down to the East Cork area. Uh, and also, in terms of getting an additional school, we need to work with Cork County Council, and a team from the department should work with them now because they're drawing up a new county development plan to establish zones that would be appropriate um, for new education facilities in the East Cork area. My own personal view is that that area, really, from, from Killa Castle Martyr, Middleton up towards the Carrie direction is where the, the, the focus point of the demand is uh, and it's certainly uh, you know, in, in need of an additional school because we have actually 4,000 homes that are zoned for development in that region 
of the county uh, and, and a number of hundreds of homes will be progressed in the very near future from my understanding from talking to people working in construction. So there is a very urgent need for the department to clearly identify a new location for a school and to, be ur- and to urgently progress it. And one interesting fact um, for those that, that, that might not fully appreciate just how bad the situation is, for the first time ever, Yall Town has only one secondary school. It's a thousand pupils school, uh, state-of-the-art, uh, relatively new school, is now turning pupils away that are applying to, to, to go to school there. So it's spread now from Cove, the Glanmire area even, all the way down as far as Yall on the Waterford border. So it's an enormous problem and it has to be dealt with. So what would you say to the parents in East Cork who were listening this morning? I mean, September is just a matter of five months away and obviously there are a lot of people in this area now who are deeply concerned hearing the reality that you're painting here this morning. What I would say to those parents is that myself along with others in Dáil are doing absolutely everything we physically can uh, to try and highlight this issue to those who've got the power to do something about it. In terms of the Minister for Education, I've had multiple meetings even, I would admit, arguments with the Minister um, to, to, to actually uh, get the department to come down to the constituency to deal with this issue head-on. But what I would say to them as well is that we are trying to find areas for additional capacity. If there are parents that have children that are coming uh, in towards the secondary school years that won't be coming quite, quite, quite so soon as September, we are looking to try and establish another additional secondary school. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult prospect for parents who were engaging with almost on a daily basis with my own office uh, that do not have a school place yet. But we are working with the Department of Education, patron bodies, um, to ensure that we have as many school places available as possible. But just, it has to be stated, the difficulty here is, is that we have a number of schools that are already full, they're at capacity, and in terms of taking on additional capacity, that's causing enormous issues in its own right. So to use the term crisis and emergency, as, as you were asking earlier on, mm. it is appropriate in this case because it is, it's involving so many stakeholders, such a large geographical area now uh, and such a large volume of families, around 150 families, uh, which, 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 which is quite significant. And I mean, like there are also the kids, as Connor mentioned there before you came on, that are travelling to the city for school. There's 80 kilometre round trips. So, some kids are getting up at half five in the morning to go to school, making it a really, really long day for them. And I mean, that's the reality that families are going through while we're waiting for a new school to be built. It is. And, you know, I have to say the stress involved as well. I, I, I've spoken to many, many parents uh, who have directly contacted our office regarding this particular problem. And, and, and for not, just, not alone for the parents, but for the children, uh, not knowing uh, where, uh, where they can get a secondary school place or, or where they're going to be going if they are going to get one. Yeah, that's an awful ordeal for somebody to be going through, particularly when other friends would have secured school places. And, you know, that's a very exciting conversation um, to, for, 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 for people in sixth class to be having is where they are going on to school, you know, and, and the future planning. And that's not something that a sixth class student in a primary school should have to worry or to consider about not having a place to go to secondary school, uh, which, which, is, which, is, which is an awful conversation to be having with your child. Uh, and that's something I'm very conscious of. And I've tried to relay that to the Minister on multiple occasions in the Dáil Chamber, only as recently as a number of weeks ago when we had the meeting with the Caritúhal Community School and group that came, uh, that came up from, or, or that uh, met virtually with the principal, the Board of Management and the Department of Education. Uh, you know, I very much 
put that point across to the department. Like, what are we going to do come September for these children? Are we going to seriously consider another round of individuals being educated from home? We all heard that here at 96 FM only uh, last year and the year before of parents who were put through that ordeal. Mm. And it's just not good enough that we're here in 2021 and we're, we're talking about the same thing again. But, uh, you know, that, that, that has to be stated. And Connor, Connor Newman, um, you've been listening there to what Deputy O'Connor has been saying. What's your reaction to that? It doesn't sound like there's a quick fix here, really, does it? Um, I don't think there can be a quick fix, but the, the sticking plaster approach isn't working. There has to be a long-term, sustainable solution put in place. Um, the, the, the DES figures for primary schools for 2019 to 2020 is showing 26.7% increase in enrolments since 2011-2012 in East Cork. East Cork. The national average is only 14%. The, the East Cork issue is huge and it, it's growing so fast compared to other areas in the country. We can't just sit by anymore and hope that shoving an extra class into an already over capacity school is going to solve the issue. It's just kicking the can down the road. Okay. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much to Deputy James O'Connor and Connor Newman for joining us and hopefully we'll have this issue resolved as quickly as we can. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. And PJ is off for a few days, and it's Fiona Corker in with you all this week. Now, a major rescue operation was launched off the coast of Yall yesterday afternoon. One adult and four teenagers were rescued after two small sailing boats capsized. I'm joined on the line now by Eric Brooks, who's helm off Yall RNLI lifeboat. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Fiona. Um, so tell us what happened. Um, so we were alerted um, through um, Dublin Coast Guard there that they had received information um, from the Gardaí and from Falmouth Coast Guard that a person located beacon had been activated south of Cape Island in Yall. So once we launched um, to the approximate position, we located two upturned um, sailing dinghies um, with three persons aboard um, the upturned hull on one and two persons aboard the upturned hull on the second. And um, what happened then? You Your your lifeboat kicked into action and thankfully everybody was okay. Yeah, basically we got um, all cas- five casualties aboard the lifeboat. Um, we transferred them to um, Nakadoon Pier, which is our closest um, landing point to shore. Um, we handed them into the care of the local um, Coast Guard units in Yale. Um, who looked after from there in with um in conjunction with the helicopter rescue one one seven from Waterford which landed on scene. Um all casualties then were brought to hospital by the um ambulance. And they were all okay, yeah? They were all okay, yeah. They were um, they were mildly hypothermic, um, yeah. due to their ordeal and conditions and um it was not easily wind blowing. So um they were fairly cold conditions. But lucky enough they they were wearing adequate P D um, they were all carrying means of communication, um, personal data beacons and mobile phones. So luckily enough, you know, um, serious consequences were, were averted due to due to the fact that they were well equipped and well prepared for, for the eventuality. And that, I suppose, made all the difference. And I suppose it just highlights the importance of wearing life uh, jackets and emergency beacons if you are going out on any kind of craft on the water. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the difference between life or death. You know, um, should something go wrong? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's their, it's their PPE, their, which their life jacket, their, um, 
the fall weather gear and I mean the communications is what, what saved our lives. And um, Eric, we're heading into the summer. Um, obviously, there's still people on a bit of a break for this week as well. What would you say to people who are planning on going out into the sea or on into, even into a lake or a river if they want to go sailing or even some people want to go swimming? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they could go swimming. But, you know, what kind of advice would you give to people? Well, first of all, you know, from anyone, you know, sailing, kayaking, yeah, boating in general, always carrying the communication, you know, um, VHF radio is ideal, but you know, more, um, for, that's not all practical for sailing or kayaking. So, mm. a mobile phone definitely has a minimum means of communication. You know, always let someone ashore know where you're, um, where you intend to sail, what time you're leaving at, what time you should um, arrive back ashore at. Um, at least, in there, there is someone ashore if something does go wrong that you can't make contact. Someone ashore will 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 notify um, the Coast Guard that you're overdue. And I suppose like with what happened yesterday, four of the casualties involved were teenagers. So um, this could have been a much worse situation, really, couldn't it have? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I suppose, yeah, you know, I mean, it's was sort of less experienced, maybe less experienced sailor mm. or um, someone stepping out who, who was quite, who I suppose wasn't well educated on, on sea conditions. Yes, it could have definitely have been. Um was lucky enough um, the, the say casualties yesterday they were well equipped for, for the eventuality yeah but I suppose like it was important that they had all their vests and the emergency beacon and the phone number to contact that's right yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it, was it a busy weekend for you like is it this time of the year that would the RNLI would start to get really busy with people going out yeah it would I mean you know I suppose it's kind of unusual the pattern is unusual at the moment you know with current circumstances hmm. um, you know a lot of everyone is restricted to their 5k but um, other than that, it was quite that was the only instance we had this weekend. And I think around the coast, as well, I'm just speaking to my colleagues down there at Sports Cat last night, it was the only instance that took place off the South Coast yesterday. Yeah. Um, okay, brilliant. Listen, Eric, thanks very much for joining us. No problem. And no. we're glad to hear that everybody was okay in that rescue. Uh, plenty more to come on Tuesday's Opinion Line after 10 o'clock. Stay with us. The numbers to dial 1850-715-996. The text or WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. Welcome back to Tuesday's Opinion Line. Our phone lines are open, 1850-715-996. You can text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, it's estimated that more than 65,000 young people aged between 10 and 17 are providing some form of care to a family member. Zoe is one such carer. She's 19 now and throughout her teenage years, she's been helping her mum, Anne-Marie, who has chronic arthritis. I'm joined by Zoe and her mum and also by Catherine Cox, Head of Care Engagement at Family Cares Ireland. Zoe, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Zoe, you're, you've been helping your mum and you've been caring for your mum. What kind of things do you have to do for her? Um, make her dinner and help her get dressed and put on her shoes and stuff. And how long have you been doing all that for? Six years. For six years. So you're, you're 19 now, so it started when you were 13? Yeah. 
And Zoe, like, how does it feel uh, when you see other teenagers who aren't family carers and they're out hanging out with their friends? How does that make you feel? Oh, I don't really mind it, like. It doesn't really bother me. And have you got any other brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have one brother and two sisters. And are they younger than you? Yeah. And do they help out then as well, or is it you that are, that's doing most of the, the caring? Yeah, they help out as well. And uh, when you were in... I, I'm assuming that you're finished school now, are you? Um, no, I'm in sixth year. You're in sixth year. So are you doing the Leaving Cert this year? Yeah. And so what's that like then if you're trying to study and go to school and look after your mom? Like, how is it balancing everything? It's tough, like... So do you have to do a lot of stuff for your mom before you go to school? Yeah. Yeah. Is mum there? I think I can hear her. Can I? Can I hear yeah, Emery? Hi, Emery. Hi, how are you? Uh, she's um, Zoe's doing absolutely amazing work for you. Um, yeah, and just tell me a little bit. You have chronic arthritis. So what uh, is that condition like? How does it affect you every day? Um, I also have fibromyalgia as well. Okay. So um would be chronic fatigue. Um, obviously, my joints would swell and would be extremely painful. Uh, so I, I find it very hard to say, put on my shoes or stockings or um, open bottles sometimes or even brush my hair would take fierce energy to do it. And obviously with having both conditions, the tiredness would be really, really bad. It's not When you say you're tired to someone, they think it's normal tiredness, mm. but it's not normal tiredness. It would be like for... The average person, they'd have to stay awake for three days and three nights to get yeah. the actual tiredness. And when did this condition start? When did you start feeling like this? Well, I have it for a number of years before it, but it has slowly but steadily got worse over the years. And Zoe has obviously taken on the role as your kind of principal carer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So how vital is her help to you on a day-to-day basis? Oh, I couldn't live without her. Be honest, I couldn't live without her. Hmm. And how does that make you feel to know that you need your teenage daughter for you to be able to get through your day? I think it's because I'm not that old either, so it's, it actually is very hard to accept. Hmm. So, all you want for your children when they grow up is that they get educated and get on with their own lives. But unfortunately, for my kids, the reality is. I have these illnesses, mm. so they always be fair to all to me first, and they always make sure that I have what I need before they go to school. Now I'm very lucky in a way because my mother also lives next door to me, so when they're in school, if I need any help, she's also there. Yeah. Um, and like obviously, you must be very proud of of Zoe and your other children as well. well I mean, he's also studying for her leaving cert, as she has previously told you. Mm. And I mean, she has is non-stop studying. She's brilliant. And I know she will get what she deserves. And Catherine Cox, um, Zoe's story, it's not an unfamiliar one in Ireland here, is it? No, it's not. Um, as you said there at the start, there's uh, research was done just in December 2020 and it shows that there are 67 thousand young people between the age of 10 and 17 providing regular unpaid care in the home 
Um, and as you know, Zoe said, and her mum said there, things like cooking, housework, probably shopping, and in you know some cases maybe helping look after younger children as mm. well. So it it is you know it's it's obviously a, a big responsibility for a young person, and we would always be really careful to point out that um, you know where we ever come across a situation maybe where a young care is providing very high levels of care or inappropriate levels of care that we would always step in, support the family, but also ensure that the health services and other services are brought in because no young person, you know, should have to take in inappropriate, take on inappropriate levels of care. But family life being what it is, you know, situations require where a young person will help out. And that's exactly as well what Zoe is doing with her mom. She's helping her in the morning. You know, she's still getting to go to school. She's still getting to interact with her friends, um, which is good. But having said that, they do need support as well. And young people in those roles require emotional support as well, because it can be difficult. Um, and actually, the research that I, that I referred to did show that in some situations, young carers can be most, more likely to be bullied, for example, in school. And, you know, part of that could be because maybe they're not able to partake in the activities that other young people might uh, take part in. They might be seen to be a little bit different maybe to other kids if they're not doing that. So we just need to be really careful that we support young carers' mental as well as their physical well-being. Um, and things like support in the school, making teachers aware, for example, that maybe a young person has a caring role, helping teachers to identify that and put supports in place. For example, if a young person does doesn't have homework done every every day or maybe they're a little bit tired if they've been up the night before if there's a child maybe in the home with a disability so it's really important that we get early recognition and early intervention to support these young carers through their through their caring roles and Catherine how important is it for young carers to have someone to talk to outside of the home it is absolutely crucial, I would say, and it is why that uh, Family Cares Ireland, we have a young care manager specifically, and he's the only one across the whole country, Porig, and it's really important that young people get to talk to somebody like that who know what they're going through, but also we put young carers in contact with other young carers so that they can talk to their peers, um, and maybe if they're having a difficulty or a problem, that they can do that in a very confidential and safe space knowing they won't be judged, um, but also knowing that the other young person might be going through something very similar. So I would say to any young carers out there, do get in contact with us. It's Family Cares Ireland. If they go to our website, it's www.familycares.ie um, and you will see we also have a young person can get a young carer card and that gives them entitlement to lots of um, benefits, a benefits package. Um, so they get into the cinema when hopefully the world reopens again, uh, mm-hmm. they get benefits like that. But as you said, it is so important that they have somewhere and somebody to talk to, even outside their home situation. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to do that with a family member. So just to let young carers know that Family Carers Ireland, we're here and we're here to help and listen. And we do have a free phone line as well, which is one 800 240724 and young people or any family carers can call that their parents can also care that to call that um, and we're there to support and listen most importantly and Catherine can I just ask you about the vaccine rollout um you know the mm-hmm. vaccines for family carers haven't been prioritized what was your reaction to that news Look, we have been I suppose, lobbying since before Christmas for family carers to be included as 
front as essential healthcare workers, which we believe that is what they are. Many are, I suppose, running what we would say as a mini hospitals in their own homes every day, providing very high levels of care and personal care for loved ones. So we've lobbied for carers to be included. Again, we've been, I suppose, let down, I would say, um, by government. Carers weren't given access to PPE, then they weren't given access to priority testing, and now they're not being vaccinated um, earlier than others. So the reality now is that some family carers, in particular actually young family carers, may be very well the last group to get the vaccination. So to say carers are disappointed and angry and so upset that again they feel like they've been forgotten and that's an understatement because you know there is, there is huge upset out there and I know the guards and I know the teachers are you know saying a, a, a similar message. I really believe that family carers should be vaccinated. I also believe that the teachers and guards should as well. I think those three groups in our society in particular um, should have been done before they rolled out the age-related uh, vaccinations and we'll continue to push for that one. And Anne-Marie, what are your thoughts on the vaccine rollout? Do you agree? Um, I would agree, but then at the same time I would say we're all important. Mm. But if, if you start rolling it out to one, you've other frontline and people like the shopkeepers, you have the bus drivers. So there's so many people that do deserve it who are working in the front line as well. Mm. So that aren't spoken about either. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Emery and Zoe, uh, for joining and for sharing your story with us this morning. And thank you, Catherine, for your expert advice too. Right, you're listening to Opinion Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM and we'll be back after the break. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. And it's Fiona Corker and in for PJ this week delighted to be with you on the Opinion Line in Cork's 96FM. Now we're going back to the issue of crowds gathering over the weekend at public amenities um, and I'm joined on the line by Damien. Damien, you live at the Lock. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I do. I live in Lockview. Lockview okay. Too. And what's your experience been over the last weekend and, and indeed over the last couple of weekends? Our experience is going on, it's going on 12 months now, over 12 months. Right. We have no problem people gathering in the Lock but it's the people coming up our lane urinating in our gardens or back gardens in a doorway on the lock in a house it's so bad they'll urinate in the fellow's house on the lane he had to move over for the weekend because he showed that on last Thursday night and he said to throw branches up to his window urinating right in the doorway so obviously that's I mean like nobody wants to see that outside their house so what no. kind of an effect is this having on the locals Oh, people at their wits' ends, there's pensioners living in that lane, and there's families of young kids. Like, there's a woman with a four-week-old baby two weeks ago, and they yawn, she came out and they yawned right across our front door. And she said, and he started flashing at her. Mm-hmm. You, you walk down that laneway, and it's stinking. Like, all we're looking for is a gate to be put up there. We don't, we don't want people gathering. The lock is a lovely place for people to gather. Mm-hmm. And people will probably come on saying it's, it's not the students. It's 85% of it is students. Like, we have a gateway above and there's a gateway in the next lane up Lock Fillers. So why can't we put a gate up there with a fob or a key? All the neighbours are saying, when we signed the partition last year, they get a gate there. 
Cox City Council are doing nothing to help us. The TDs are saying, we'll try and get you a gate, we'll try and get a gate. But there's no one come to help us, like. And is it just a gateway going up the alleyway, or...? or a, a gateway, to go on, a lane, one, there's a lane going up the lock. You can't get an ambulance down onto the fire brigade. From there. You cannot get an ambulance down to the fire brigade. So just a walk with it. Do you think, I know that people have been saying, I've been reading some messages on social media over the weekend and they've been calling for a public toilet to be installed there. Is that something that you would be in favour of? Well, it would be like, but you, there was toilets there years ago. And they caused, caused first hassle below in the lock. It was used for, abused to us, the toilets. Further situations were used for. So what do you think needs to be done then? This gateway, do you think that that's going to solve the issue or will you still have people urinating in people's gardens? It, it, it'll solve the issue for us people from coming up to our gardens. Like it's not nice you open your curtains and there's a, like for instance, there's a girl the other day fell open the curtains and she did cat suit on and she take off the old cat suit to go to the toilet. Oh God. <laughs> and and it, it will say to him, they're shouting abuse back to you. Yeah. And the gang fell up to the lane the other day and we said to him, they're urinating and they put down their pants walking up the lane in front of the kids. And Debbie, obviously for the rest of us, we all love when we see the sun coming out and we pray for a bit of sunshine, but for yeah. you guys at the lock, we're, are you we're hoping... We're praying for rain. We're praying for rain and cold because when the sun comes, all the college students come down. As I say, it's 85% of the college students. Right. There's nothing else. Which it's a gate where we want here. Like, I hope the people across the country are listening to the radio this morning. Like, this is an absolute disgrace. They're not helping us out. Okay. Damien, listen, thank you very much for contacting the Opinion Line. If anybody else wants to get in touch with us, our lines are open 1850-715-996. You can text or WhatsApp 0833-969696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Much more to come on this morning's show. You're listening to the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Fiona in 4PJ. Our lines are open 1850-715-996. Text or email or text or WhatsApp 0833-969696. And the email is opinion at 96 fm.ie. Now, uh, Tammy Darcy set up the Shona Project to educate, empower and inspire Irish girls to become strong, resilient and confident young women. Her book, You've Got This, has just been launched and she's been speaking to me about the book and about why she set up the Shona Project in the first place. Okay, so Tammy Darcy, first of all, congratulations on your new book um, and we'll come to that in a few minutes. But for people who don't know what the Shona Project is, can you just explain a little bit about what it is and why you set it up? please. Sure, no problem. So I founded the Shona Project in 2016 and basically what I wanted to do was set up an organisation to support teenagers, teenage girls through the difficult teenage years. And it was inspired by my own teenage years which were quite difficult um, and it's called after my sister Shona who uh, was diagnosed with brain injury when she was 15 and I was 14. Um, So she's been a full-time nurse in care her whole adult life. But, you know, as an adult, look back I realised that um, her you know she managed to achieve the potential that she had in her life but neither had I because I wasn't supported you know with the way that I 
could have been through that whole experience you know I didn't really have people to talk to um, I you know it really affected my self esteem and there was other <coughs> excuse me other challenges going on as well at around the same time and um, as an adult then just through various ways of meeting similar young girls I could just see so many of them were struggling and, and those you know gorgeous sassy brave girls at the age of 11 by the time they got to 16 17 so many of them have just lost all of that confidence and you know it was just an area where I felt you know somebody needed to do something so mm. that's what I did and do you think that we've come a good bit since then do you think that there are more services available and that there are more people talking about issues like that this that will help teenagers or do you think that we still have quite a long way to go here in Ireland um I think we've quite a long way to go. Like, I do think there's great work being done. Absolutely, mm-hmm. there is. The reason why I started an organisation for girls is because I think, you know, while, while gender is a spectrum and everybody's different and individual, the world teaches girls that they're valued for how they look and it kind of puts them under a lot of pressure to, to be perfect. And, you know, there's just a culture for women that I wanted to challenge is that why can we not just all be way kinder to each other? Why can schools not be um, more positive places? Is why do girls feel the need to compete with each other um, and why can we, can we not all just support one another and, and respect each other's differences and um, respect each other's processes and forgive each other our mistakes a lot more than we do. So I do think there's great work being done but I wanted to do something specific for girls based on my own experience and also I just think after the year we've just had the mental health challenges that were there are only going to get a lot worse. I think we're not really prepared for what's going to come down the line in the next couple of years with young people and the effect that COVID has had on them. Um, So I think, you know, it's just going to become increasingly challenging. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you think that a lot of girls now, um, you know, teenage girls from first year up to fifth year haven't actually returned to school yet since um, since before Christmas and they will be going back now after Easter. A lot of those girls may be feeling a bit paranoid. They may be feeling a bit anxious. Would you have any advice for those particular girls? Yeah, like even before COVID, one of the things that I've done in schools is to go into classrooms and encourage kind of a, a collective agreement to make the classroom into a safe place, you know, and that any issues that existed in the past should be, we'd all agree to put them behind us. And um, that's something that's kind of transformative because pre-COVID, a lot of girls were struggling to go into a classroom in the morning, mm. you know, because they were anxious or because they felt um, that they were being judged or they 
felt that there was an expectation on them. So, you know, I think classrooms are already a little bit stressful and I just... Uh, as I said, you know, look out for who's in your class and look out for who might be struggling and give them a little bit of your energy and a little bit of support. And if everybody does that, you know, we can all help each other through this because no, none of us are going to get through it on our own. Um, and like over the last year, it's been really, really challenging, but there's been so much to learn through it as well. So maybe just to consider what you've learned and what you've accomplished and what you have overcome in the last year and, you know, maybe underestimated how strong you actually are. And when you say there that, um, you know, encouraging people to look out for others, like what kind of signs should we be looking out for both, you know, for, for, for peers, for teenagers looking out for their peers and for adults looking out for, for children maybe? Like what kind of signs do we need to be aware of or should we be looking out for? Um, I, I, I think just somebody who's isolating themselves a little bit, um, you know, somebody who you think other girls in the class might be being mean to them and mm. they might, you know, be struggling and, and just to give them even a smile, you know, to reassure them that they're okay. Um, or, or, you know what, just ask, you know, if you think somebody's not doing so well, just ask them, even if you send them a text. And um, I heard somebody say the other day, just to always ask twice. So, you know, if you ask somebody, are you doing okay? And they mm-hmm. say, yeah, I'm fine. And then just say, are you really doing okay? You know, because I'm a little bit worried about you. And maybe that'll give them a little bit of space to say, well, look, I'm not doing great at the moment, but I'm working on it. I'm doing my best. And, you know, why don't we talk about it? You know, and, yeah. and actually you sharing with other people your struggles or your doubts or your fears gives them permission to do that too you know and I think we all have are struggling with uncertainty at the moment and we all had plans for this year and last year you know whether it was to play sports or whether it was to be involved in clubs or whether it was to sit the leaving cert or to go to college and experience that like we've all lost a lot so Mm -hmm. there's none of us that haven't had to come to terms with that sort of thing um, and I just think sharing those experiences is just healing for everybody It's interesting, I was speaking to somebody there the other day and they were saying that you know, when you're a teenager your aim is to turn 18 because then you're kind of viewed as an adult but for anyone who turned 18 in the past year all of those uh, you know, allowances that they may have got like you know, to be able to go out and enjoy time with their friends and stuff like that's all been taken away from them so they're kind of left in a bit of a limbo situation at the minute yeah like there's not any age that it hasn't affected Mm. like I have a son who's about to go into first year and he's missed so much of that sixth class experience you know he's been really just at home with us for the last year and now he has to go into from a small country school into a big school Um, I have a daughter who was in transition year and while in some ways it's good to be in transition Mm. year because there's no academic pressure on her but she had all of these experiences work experience and things that she was going to do um she plays a lot of sport and she hasn't had an opportunity to do that so I think every single age um, up until you know any literally any age we've all been affected in different ways but I think for those that were looking forward to being adults and having that experience they feel like they've been something's been stolen from them that they can never get back and you know we have to grief for that and come to terms with that loss and I think it's a, it's only hitting a lot of people now a year in because they've been kind of running on adrenaline and trying to be positive for so long and now they're looking back and you know having to just let themselves feel sad about it. 
And Tammy, if anyone is feeling like that, you have a book out. You've brought it out now in the last week. It's called You've Got This. Um, mm. what, what is the book about? And, and is, it, is it that? Is it trying to give advice to young people on how to, to overcome difficulties like that? Yeah, so I basically wrote the book that I needed when I was 14. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been meeting girls in schools all over Ireland. I've meet, met over 13,000. We talk to people online. We have an ambassador group. We're really tuned in to their experiences and the challenges. So there's, there's four sections in it, your heart, your mind, your body, and your world. Um, and it's all about, you know, how to take care of your heart, uh, how to take care of your, your mind and your mental health, um, how to value your body and our relationships with our body and then how to be active in the world and to kind of challenge the messages we get from the world about what our role is in it and to kind of navigate that for ourselves and break the rules and make new ones Um, but the most important section for me is the section on mindset because the challenges will keep coming and it's only our approach and our reaction to them that will help define the outcome for us so Mm. that's kind of my favourite section. Um, I was just reading a line on your Instagram about the book and it says discover that the parts of you that are different are your superpowers own them cover them in glitter and shine brightly and I just thought that was such a lovely message to give to people because I suppose with a lot of social media there's a tendency for people to to be the same and you know we have all these face filters and you know uh, photographs are all kind of perfect but you're trying to say to people that you know own your differences make them your superpowers and I think it's such a powerful message. Yeah, like everyone I know who I admire um, became successful or became, you know, inspirational Mm. when they embraced all of those things and just stopped trying to be other people and just became their own full selves. It's not easy to do it, you know. I think we all struggle with it from time to time. And in school, there is an awful lot of pressure to, you know, be the same as everybody else and fit in. And, you know, sometimes you're like, well, if I can, if I can, morph myself into something else then I'll be happier then I'll be accepted and I would just love every girl who feels like that to know that you know when when she becomes an adult all of those things about her are going to be the things that people will love the most yeah because I think there is a tendency within um, young people and teenage girls that there's a fear to show their differences in case they might be mocked or bullied in any way and um, it's very difficult for them to to embrace those differences yeah and sometimes they are mocked and bullied I mean Mm. their fears are are real Um, but you know when I go into a classroom and there could be 30 girls in my classroom and I, I can always spot five or six that feel isolated you know that are Mm. kind of isolated in themselves and I always love would love to say if I took those five or six and put them together you know because everyone is just looking at the loud kids or the popular kids and just thinking I don't fit in with them Um, you know and I remember even all those quiet kids in my class that all seem to be flying it now um, because they stuck to their guns and you know sometimes just having one good friend is all you need you know, um, and they don't have to be in your class and they don't have to be your own age. And having one real good friend is better than having 10 friends that you're afraid to express yourself around in case they turn on you, that you feel like that friendship is conditional. Um, and, you know, it, it is hard. It is hard. I remember it well. It had a massive effect on me. Mm. And um, it's had a massive effect on lots of people that I love the most. But, um, yeah, I just think if, if, you, if you think about the standards you're going to set for yourself as to who you're going to let in for, into your life and, and value quantity or quality over quantity when it comes to friendships. And Tammy, if anyone wants to read your book, where can they get it? 
It's available everywhere today. I think it's in some Tesco's. It's in... Um, it's on uh, Eason's, it's on the Book Centre, it's on the Book Depository, uh, Dubray. Uh, like, I think it's just about everywhere now. Okay. Like, I've, I've just been getting updates from the publishers, <laughs> which is great, because yeah. they're doing all the work. But, um, yeah, it's available pretty much everywhere from today. And if anybody wanted to talk to you directly, can they follow you on um, social media or can, is there a way of getting in touch with you? Yeah, so Shona.ie is the best place to get us. Like, there's a whole team of us there. And, you know, uh, we'd encourage people to follow us because we just share so much every day. We share each other's stories. We share positivity, you know, where our Instagram is a nice place to be. But we also have a website called Shona.ie where we share articles two or three times a week from, you know, written by the Shona community, which is at this stage a, a huge community of amazing girls and women. Brilliant. Great stuff. Listen, thanks so much for talking to me. No problem. Um, a few more comments <clears throat> excuse me coming in to us here the phone lines are open 1850 text or whatsapp 0833969696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie and James says are we now in a situation where we decide who lives and who dies with the disregard society has for the vulnerable and all this messing around with vaccines when so many of the elderly and vulnerable are not vaccinated a caller says Fiona there's no way what was going on in Kennedy's Key was healthy even outside of Covid there were people sitting on the key edge dangling their legs over the water how someone didn't get killed is a miracle and as far as that professor saying to talk to each other side by side there was plenty of tonsil hockey going on lovely meanwhile on East Cork schools Kate says sure they'd know roughly the requirements for secondary spaces from the primary school numbers this is a ridiculous situation Um, after the break could Cork have a greenway that links the city centre to the coast we'll be discussing that next this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to the Opinion Line. My next guest is calling for a 45 kilometre greenway running alongside the River Lee from Inniscarra Dam to Ballancolic Regional Park through the Cork City on to Mahan and then around Cork Harbour to Carrigaline, ending up in the beautiful seaside town of Crosshaven. The lead to Sea Greenway would be within easy reach of 200,000 people and Dr Dean Venables believes it should be prioritised by the local authorities and the government and he's on the line now. Good morning Dr Venables. Hello Fiona. Um, why do you think that this project should be prioritised? Well, for many reasons. I think what we see is that there's a huge demand for people getting out uh, for leisure and um, especially at this time of COVID, of course, but even before um, before this time, we're seeing a huge demand for the marina to be pedestrianized. You know, we've seen a lot of people getting out into the regional park and so on. That's that's one reason. I think the other reason is that it's a, it would be a huge tourism asset to the city. Um, we have a lot of um, potential links directly to the continent and uh, to the rest of the country through the train and bus stations. We've got Cork Airport right on our doorstep, and we've got the liner and uh, ferry terminals uh, in the harbour. So there's, there's a huge uh, potential there on the tourism side. Um, and I think when it comes to transport, we need to, we need to start thinking more broadly about sustainability um, and how are we going to start living and uh, sort of getting around in a different and maybe more sustainable way? Um, as you know, the, uh, the, the Climate Action Bill that has been published is looking for a 51% reduction in emissions by 2030. 
Um, and that's just going to be, uh, that's just a huge ask. And especially when you start thinking in terms of uh, transport and looking at 40% of our carbon emissions are coming from transport, we need to think about different ways of getting around. Um, and what the Leader C does is it really makes um, uh, a way for a lot of people to get to work, to get to school, to get to college um, throughout the region. Uh, because it turns out that where uh, where our places of business and education and culture are located are really following the river, following around the harbour and straight through the middle of the city. Um, so there's a huge opportunity here for um, you know to create a, a safe and accessible way for people to get to work and school in a completely carbon zero way. And much of the route already exists. So is the whole idea that you have is just to join the dots and make it one big route? Yes, I think I think that's part of it. Uh, certainly, part of it is the uh, standard of the route. That what is there needs to be accessible to more people, and to be you know designed better for people using it for transport as well as for leisure. Um, so, so, so design considerations are really important there as well. Uh, I think a second aspect is also that we should be marketing it. Uh, you know, calling it just a single name. You know, we call it the Leader C because that that just seemed to make sense. You know, you can call it whatever you want, but you know, having you know multiple separate routes like the Lee Fields and the Black Rock Greenway and the Passage Line and and so on, they all sound different. Um, but if we can all speak about, oh, I'll be using the Leader C to get to town, then everybody will know automatically what we're doing and it's also a good way to you know promote a greater use of the facility for for leisure and for transport how much funding would we need to make this plan into a reality i think we're probably looking at about 20 to 30 million euros uh, to put it in place um it's hard to say because um occasionally you probably need a bridge or two upstream mm-hmm. those can be quite expensive but on the plus side, a lot of the stuff is already in place and probably just needs to be resurfaced or, or maybe left as is. So, um, so some of the costs are actually minimal and others might be more significant. And it's probably not my uh, area of expertise to actually put a complete figure on that right now. But I suppose like, if it is going to be a tourist attraction, then we would get the return on it here in Cork. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, th- I think tourism is... Um, I mean, tourism is... is traditionally been how we've motivated the greenways. You know, we've seen how successful the Waterford Greenway has been. We've seen how great the Westport uh, Greenway uh, has been and how that has really drawn tourists into the area. Um, But when you start looking at the sort of the costs um, and the health benefits associated with people getting around more, using, um, you know, their legs to transport them more, there's also a huge economic benefit from improved public health. Um, And so, you know, we've done a a sort of simple analysis based on um, the World Health Organization has a tool which basically, you know, uh, translates uh, physical activity or walking and cycling into economic benefits. And when we look at that, we say, you know, even in a low-use scenario, we're looking at about a savings of about 20 million euros per year just on public health grounds alone. Uh, and if we think in terms of, uh, you know, more ambitious targets, then we're probably saving, you know, two or three or four times more than that every year. So actually the costs involved in putting in place would be recouped in probably less than a year, uh, maybe even much, much less than a year. And then they're returning that value to society and to the Irish taxpayer on a continual basis. So what needs to happen next? Is it a case now of lobbying the government and local authorities? 
Yes, very much so. Um, you know, we've just had uh, the Climate Action Bill is out, um, and I think this is uh, very much uh, on target for this. We've had uh, a review of the National Development Programme that was published yesterday um, by uh, Minister McGraw, and um, I think a lot of the emphasis there was on, on climate action as well as uh, developments that are more sustainable. So this ties in very closely with those sort of priorities. You know, in addition to sort of general concerns about um, improving public health for everyone, um, you know, when we've got better ways of getting around that are more sustainable and improve public health, that also draw in tourism, that's good. Um, and I think the fourth aspect over here is um, how it improves the competitiveness of the city and of the nation. We just had um, the Taoiseach announced 400 million investment in the Docklands and Tivoli. And these are huge opportunities for the city. I mean, they're, they're just wonderful brownfield sites that are almost unique in Europe. Uh, but if we are able to get people in and out of them in a sustainable way, then that really enhance the attractiveness of those places, both to live in those regions and, and also to work in those places. Dr. Dean Venables, thank you very much for your time this morning. I know uh, he mentioned there the Waterford Greenway and I did do that uh, a couple of years ago now, I think, with the kids on the bikes and it was absolutely brilliant and it would be amazing to see something like that here in Cork to be able to just jump on the bikes with the kids and cycle along all the way down to, Ros to Crosshaven would be uh, really, really good. Now, uh, Councillor Mick Finn has been um, addressing the crowds at the lock again. Uh, good morning, Councillor. Morning, Fiona. Um, yeah, the we, we were talking to Councillor Kenneth O'Flynn earlier this morning, and he was talking about closing off the the Bell's Field area temporarily because of the lockdown. Um, and we did get a caller there, Damien, who lives at the lock as well, and he was talking about a gateway. Like, what is the solution to ha to what's going on at the lock at the minute? Yeah, look, it, 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 this has been going on for a number of weeks um, and we had seen there last year as well. And it's a complex one because, you know, I'm not sure closing off areas at a time when people are restricted to 5K is, is the answer. Mm. But, in, but in saying that, um, some of the scenes that we had in Lockham on St. Patrick's Day and on Tuesday and Thursday of last week were just unacceptable. Um, you know, the, the residents there are putting up with a lot. Ordinary users of the lock were afraid to use it because of some of the scenes that were there. Um, so I think the key to it is to enforce the bylaws to ensure that there's no alcohol uh, to be allowed to be consumed there. Um, you know, the Gardaí have been very flexible, but the Gardaí have been very stretched as well. I mean, there, there are a number of sites in the city that they've had to patrol uh, because of big crowds. Um, and, you know, you, you know, people will, will say that 0.01% of the coronavirus, uh, of the COVID cases are, you know, transmitted in the outside. And what's the problem? The problem is, are the antisocial scenes, you know, people urinating and defecating in people's gardens and, you know, the amount of rubbish and litter strewn around the place after these events. These are the problems that, that residents are dealing with and, you know, we have to come up with a, a, a new solution. What that is, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's about more enforcement. It's maybe about having more park rangers, you know, uh, monitoring the, the areas just to ensure that, you know, when people are using these areas, that they have respect for them and that they leave them as they got them. Um, Damien that was speaking to me earlier was saying that they actually pray for rain rather than sunshine at the lock because they know that it's going to attract loads of people there. We're coming into the summer. Like, Do you think that the, there will be a solution in place before then? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I think myself and uh, Councillor Thomas Maloney have asked for, uh, you know, a number of solutions. One of them is a gateway leading to Lockview Terrace, which is used for all the wrong purposes mm. at times when, you know, when big crowds gather. Um, you know, I suppose that's why I signalled this number of weeks ago, because I could see it happening. And, you know, we're only in March, April, uh, you know, when this was first beginning to, to surface again. And that is the fear among people that, you know, with the weather getting better coming into the summer, uh, that this is going to become more frequent and maybe more problematic. So I think, you know, the solutions have been asked about temporary toileting uh, put into the area, which has been so far refused by the council. I think it's still something that needs to be looked at. Um, but I think the, the, the policing and patrolling of the green area there, you're looking at Bell's Field, you're looking at places like Kennedy Key, where we've seen videos in recent days, mm. you know, of large crowds gathering. And as I say, you know, I have no huge problem with people gathering outside, um, uh, but it's the aftermath and it's what's left behind them is, is, is my problem and the residents, you know, in those areas dealing with this on a, on a kind of a daily basis. Yeah, it's just not nice for them really, is it? No. Okay, listen, Councillor McFinn, thank you very much for joining us this morning on Cork's 96FM. Tuesday's opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Now, Anne has been in touch with the show and she says, I live in Heartlands Avenue. On Friday, I had to hunt out a crowd of girls from my garden who were using it as a toilet. But for gender balance on Saturday, it was a gang of boys. If that lane gets gates, like Damien says, it will just drive them down into other areas that cannot be gated. This should not drive the, This should not be happening in the first place. It's very antisocial and will end up in and fights and people getting poisoned from alcohol and ending up in A&E. 1850 715 996. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to the final hour of The Opinion Line. Fiona Corcoran here for PJ Coogan. Now, someone was on the phone there asking about the Shona Project and wanted to know the name of the book that Tammy has published. It's called You've Got This. Now, there have been some other comments to 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. One caller says, I'm sick to death of hearing about young people and how they're suffering during the lockdown. We're all missing out during the lockdown, but the media seems fascinated with making out that life is unbearable altogether. Sorry, Fiona, I like listening to you, but that's just giving me blood pressure. I'm very, very sorry, caller, for giving you blood pressure. I didn't mean it. Uh, Bernie had similar sentiment to the above. On the idea of vaccine passports, a caller says, I'm concerned about the whole issue of vaccine passports. The jury is still well out as regards vaxxed people still having a dangerous viral load and passing it to unvaxxed. I think it is the vaxxed person gets a viral load on board. It does not replicate due to vax, but sits at back of nose and throat and then they pass it to the unvaxxed. Forgery is another issue with fax passports. I would like to think that they have thought this through, but politicians everywhere seem to jump the gun when it comes to lifting restrictions. On the lead to see Greenway, Tim Brosnan called in to say City to Yall Greenway is far more sensible than Ballancolic to Crosshaven. Keep your comments coming in to us. And uh, now this morning, Chambers Ireland and UNICEF have issued a call for action to the business community to offer greater flexibility and a more family-friendly workplace in order to assist with post-pandemic recovery. Meanwhile, studies have shown that women have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic, with one survey in the Irish Examiner last weekend showing that 1 in 10 women have given up their job and 30% have considered giving it up to focus on caring for their children. Karen O'Reilly of Employ Mum has written a blog post on the issue and she joins me on the line this morning. Hello, Karen. 
Hi Fiona, how are you this morning? Very, very good, how are you? Good. Now, um, the, you, in your blog you were talking about how women have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic and um, in what way is that? Is it just because of the, the nature of the jobs that traditionally are held by women or are they the main caretakers in, in the home and the people who do the most amount of homeschooling? What, what way is it? Yes, that's exactly it, Fiona. You know, I suppose, unfortunately, women traditionally work in sectors that were very badly hit by the pandemic, um, such as in hospitality, caring, retail and beauty, for example. These would all be industries where women are, uh, you know, the um, predominant. Um, And so not many of these jobs can be done remotely either. So a lot of women have been pushed out of the of, of the workplace. Uh, and then I suppose you add to that the, um, the, the the second shift that women have to do in general, mm-hmm. um, and um, and the fact that women spend approximately twice as much time uh, on unpaid care, and by that I mean looking after children or relatives, um, and on average they would spend twenty three hours doing housework compared to fifteen hours of men. So, you know that second shift is 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 pushing women out of the workplace because it is completely unsustainable. You know so. Um, I- I don't know if you saw the article in the Examiner on Saturday that said that one in ten women have given up their job during the pandemic, and thirty percent have considered giving it up. Would you be surprised by that? Um, by those statistics? Yeah, I saw the article, and it's great that um, you know people are are coming out and, and stating this, and that we, we are aware of this. Uh, it's not surprising because you know we are employ mom and employ flex, and we have uh, we're primarily a recruitment service for uh, around flexible work. And we have had many women contact us over the last 12 months um, because they've been pushed out of full-time jobs because they just can't feel as if they can't do it. Um, you know, so a full-time job can sometimes be, you know, 50, 60 hours a week in, in um, a large organization. And then adding that to the childcare, the working from home, and again, that second shift and um, is, is pushing women out of the work so that they, they just can't, can't, can't do it anymore. So as the country tries to recover post-COVID, uh, what can employers do to support women in the workplace? Yeah, so look, we're all about solutions. You know, there's, there's no point in just, uh, you know, screaming into the void and saying, you know, women are, are, are being badly done by again. You mm-hmm. know, we need to come up with solutions going forward. Um, and, you know, and offering flexibility is one of the main things that we would recommend. Well, we're all about flexible work anyway here in Employee Flex, but this is, this is definitely a solution for, for women in the workplace. And, you know, as you said there, Chambers and, and UNICEF also um, said the same thing, that flexibility is crucial when it comes to supporting families post-pandemic. But there are other things that companies can do, you know, by welcoming women back into the workplace. Um, one, they could offer returnships. Um, so these are like internships, but for people who are coming back into the workplace. Um, and it's a great way to open the door for women who feel um, as if the door has been slammed in their face as such, you know. Um, you can also be, you know, as a workplace, you can be seen as being family friendly, um, you know, try to lead with empathy. Um, I think that is a, one good positive thing that's come out of the COVID, um, you know, working from home is that leaders and managers realize that, you know, people that do have a life outside of work and, you know, there are lots of other things going on outside of your of your work, working day, you know, because everybody's been into each other's houses really um, because of remote working. Um, so leading with empathy is very important. Um, you know, and involve females in the decision-making within the organisations. Um, you know, look for feedback and how can we help um, women in, in your organisation is really, really important. And 
What would you say to the people who are listening to this and they're saying, well, I don't have children or if it is a, a dad um, and they're saying, well, if if there's going to be flexibility offered towards working mothers, what about the rest of us? Yeah, well, we, we definitely would uh, um, be campaigning for flexibility for all. Mm. You know, flexibility isn't just for parents. It isn't just for women. Um, you know, we have a lot. That's, we, that's why we changed our name from Employ Mum to Employ Flex mm. because 30% of our placements were male um, and 50% of our patients didn't have, you know, were, were non-parents. So it's not just um, uh, parents and women who are looking for flexibility. It's, it's across the board. And it's the number one thing now that people are looking for when they are looking for work. So, you know, as an employer, um, you're definitely going to get the competitive advantage if you are offering flexibility over over the other company down the road. Um, so it makes sense, um, uh, you know, for, for companies to, to offer work for everybody. Um, Do you think that the pandemic um, has, you know, because a lot of us have had to work from home, do you think that it has opened up new opportunities for employers to explore with regards to flexible hours and allowing people to do a lot of work from home and that that whole idea of sitting in an office from nine to half five is gone? I think what it has shown is that it it can be done. You know, um, like pre-COVID, a lot of employers were saying, oh, no, this is not impossible. We can't do this because the technology won't allow it or we can't trust our people to do it or productivity is going to go down or we don't have the security. You know, So these were the arguments that companies were coming up with. But now I suppose we've shown that it can be done. And, you know, this has been a really, really hard um, experiment, I suppose, working from home during a pandemic with your possibly having children home mm-hmm. at home as well. You know, but if, if we're, when we're back into uh, the normal world, in commas, uh, we should, that uh, yeah, exactly. Um, we'll be, you know, working from home or remote working will be a whole different animal, really, because you won't, you, you were not going to be working home with a pandemic hanging over our heads and all those other distractions that are there at the moment. So it'd be a much better working place going forward. Do you think that as parents we're putting too much pressure on ourselves? I mean, I know that um, I have two children of my own and I'm working full time and I just feel like there just isn't enough hours in the day to get everything done. And, you know, as a result, I suppose a lot of uh, my me time is gone. Um, So, like, are we just putting too much pressure on ourselves to try and be good at our jobs outside the home, to be good at parenting, to be good at cleaning our house, to be good at everything? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, there's an awful lot of pressure there to be the perfect, uh, perfect person in every in every sense. But you know, at the moment, you know, working from home at the moment isn't normal remote working. You know, mm-hmm. so when we do get back to um, a situation where remote working is, um, you know, you've, you've got your eight hours at home, you've got your childcare sorted, and you've got a you know a free run at your work for six or eight hours of that day, then it's going to be a completely different scenario, and you will be able to carve out those. Uh, moments for yourself and the me time that is absolutely necessary or, you know, we're just going to be hamsters on wheels and, Mm. you know, the risk of burnout is is massive. And that is one of the, you know, major concerns, I suppose, with remote working that people will get, you know, burnt out because they're working so hard and and trying to do it all and trying to be the perfect parent and the perfect worker, you know, as you've just pointed out, you know, so um, it is important to carve out that time for yourself, which we will be able to do. Um, you know, better going forward in in, um, in the future of work. And um, in the blog, you say that we need to seek out strong women who have succeeded in their careers and tell their stories. So, how important is that? I like that is so important. I think that you know um, we need to start at the grassroots. I think you know with um, with educating our, our our children, educating our girls and boys. You know that um, 
you can have careers in in different areas that you can have co- careers in in stem and um you know that the world is, is open for for all opportunities for males and females you know i've got a girl and a boy and um the girl my daughter is 16 but there, there there's very little in her school around stem mm-hmm. as opposed to my 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 little boy's school you know they're both in secondary school um you know so you know, we talk about gender parity and gender equality within industries, but it's very hard to to hit those goals, really, if your talent pool is very small. Like if there are no girls going into or very few girls going into engineering or, or tech, um, it's very hard then to get that gender parity going forward um, if that pool is teeny tiny to begin with. Yeah, and I think we do have an awful lot of strong, inspirational women here in Cork that we can look to. You also mentioned kindness in the blog and the need for a kinder world of work. What did you mean by that? Well, I suppose this this brings it all together, really. I mean, um, I suppose what what COVID has shown is that, you know, um, we're not robots. Uh, We are human beings. Uh, We do like to connect and we do have lives outside of work. Uh, mm-hmm. And that the work can get done, you know, and actually, you know, productivity, loyalty and staff retention is going to be much higher if you are a kind employer. And what I mean by kind is just, you know, inclusive and including um, everybody in your organization. Um, you know, gender um, diversity and inclusion is, is, you know, very much a buzzword. We've just had International Women's Day where the team was choose to challenge. But, you know, that needs to become, you know, very, very central to organizations' um, policies, really, going forward if, if if they want to attract and if they want to, you know, really be diverse and inclusive. Yeah. You mentioned there about challenging. I was just going to ask you, like, do as women, do we need to challenge more, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's it's um, it's up to us women to, to challenge and, and also men to get on board as well, you know. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of great males out there who, who support women and, you know, invite women to the table. Uh, but, you know, I suppose now that we're nearly post-COVID, we need to be cognizant of those women that were pushed out of the workplace mm-hmm. and, and to bring them back in now and uh, make sure that, you know, all these steps that we've made towards gender equality over the last 10, 20 years are not eradicated by what's happened over the last 12 months. Finally, Karen, I suppose we you've outlined all the benefits of um, the, this kind of more flexible working for um, for employees. But what about the employers? If they get on board with this message and embrace a more flexible environment for working parents, what are the benefits for them? Well, the benefits are, are massive, really. I mean, um, once you have um, a happy a happy um, employee, you're going to have a loyal employee. The staff retention is going to go um, up. You know, your staff turnover will go down. Um, your your productivity will go up. Um, that's been shown. Um, you know, and you're also going to attract the best talent out there if you are putting the word out there that you are a kind employer, that you're a flexible employer and that you're, you really and truly are an inclusive employer, you know. So that, those kind of messages will attract um, the diverse talent that is needed to, to drive your company. Um, so, um, you know, and also, I suppose, looking at the bottom line, which is very, very important, um, the cost savings are immense as well for organisations who are truly offering flexibility and, and remote work. So, you know, it's always, you know, it has to work for employer and employee. Mm. Um, but, you know, the studies have shown that, um, you know, going forward, it's, it's, it's the way to go. 
Brilliant. Thanks very much, Karen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Right. We'll take a break after these. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 96 96 96. on Court's 96FM. Welcome back. Now, the country's only charity funded air ambulance, the ICRR, is based in North Cork, just outside Mill Street, and has been operating since July 2019. So far this year, it's responded to 125 incidents and has proven to be a vital life-saving operation in the Munster region. It's hoping to work with other partners to ensure everyone in the country is within 30 minutes of an air ambulance service and representatives have met with Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly, Deputy Michael Moynihan and the National Ambulance Service to discuss funding. Joining me now to talk about this is CEO Michal Sheridan. Good morning, Michal, and welcome to the Opinion Line. Good morning, Fiona. Um, just tell me a little bit about the funding and about the meeting with uh, the Health Minister. Uh, how did that go and, and what kind of funding are you looking for? Yeah, so I suppose just as you said, so the service here is operational a little over 20 months. Um, and like every other charity, I think COVID really impacted on on fundraising plans. So we would see ourselves being funded in the same way as as lots of other charities are out there uh, people doing events and uh, cycles and runs and and all sorts of things and companies doing fundraising days and and really just as everybody knows COVID just has taken that opportunity away from from everybody including ourselves Uh, so and again just to give you a sense the 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 operating cost for the air ambulance service alone here is about 1.55 million euro um, and on top of that, then our cost for some of our rapid response vehicles that we have around the country, you're talking about an overall requirement uh, to run the services at the moment of about €2 million. Euro. Uh, so this year, we already know where there's a million €1 of funding coming from. It's either come in or it's on its way. And uh, we're trying to create new fundraising streams, virtual Facebook events. So what we're looking for from government potentially uh, for the next year or two years is somewhere in the region of about a million €1 million. We believe that that will not only sustain the organisation, but really help us to grow, to expand our services, to invest in new helicopters, uh, something that we're actually doing in the next few months, um, and, and really just continue to, to provide what we provide, but also uh, to try and get to more people. And it's all, um, it is, a, and it's, um, it's all community funded, it's all charity funded. You don't get any grants or any funds from the government. No, currently we're not getting any government funding and, and I really, I suppose, that what we had to do and we've done is uh, we had to prove that we were able to provide a safe, efficient uh, and effective service and we've done that, we've proven that. Our taskings in 2020 were just under 500. 40% of those actually were taskings in Cork County. So Cork is actually a huge beneficiary of the service. So we're at a point now really where we are in demand uh, on Easter Sunday for example we were tasked four times uh, to Cork, Kerry and then two calls to Tipperary so clearly there's a need for the service we know that we're providing an excellent service and mm. uh, the crew on the on board our National Ambulance Service crew we provide all of the rest the pilots the helicopters so um, so for us really I suppose what we what we want to do is we just don't want to stand still we want to invest in new equipment and uh, we want to improve facilities here at the base um, and and ultimately we we know that with with government support we we can do that and and be a, a viable option in the long term 
You say it's just under 500 taskings in 2020 alone, but I suppose it's really important to point out that each of those taskings is a person, is a family that are benefiting from this. And it is a life-saving operation, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. We would we would have uh, absolutely no doubt that there are calls that the crew are tasked to um, and the speed that we can probably get there, the, the expertise that's in the helicopter, which is the same as the expertise that would be in a road ambulance. But the challenge sometimes for a road ambulance can be the geography of the location. So we were on Sherkin Island a few weeks ago um, and, you know, clearly a land ambulance isn't an option there. And what can be really important um, and what we provide that the land ambulance can't is we can be from places like West Cork to CUH in 20 minutes. So if you have somebody who has had a major trauma, somebody been involved in a road traffic collision, somebody who's bleeding internally, what's really crucial there is they get to CUH and they get to theatre uh, and that's stopped and that's really the difference between uh, living and dying sometimes and similarly, our, so RTCs would be our main tasking. Um, next to that would come things like cardiac arrest. So again, time is critical. And then things like STEMI heart attack. So somebody having a heart attack, a STEMI heart attack, which is the most serious heart attack or a stroke, really we have to be getting those people to hospital as quickly as possible. And if we can get somebody there at 240 kilometres an hour, um, then clearly we're we're delivering life-saving services. And Michal, given the funding model, it's incredible just how reliant the Cork community has become on the air ambulance, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and what we're seeing based on our, our taskings, it's, it's everywhere from it's everywhere from Yall out to Bantry uh, and up as far as uh, Mitchellstown and North Cork. Uh, we were in Newmarket last week, so uh, we're really able to travel the county. And as you said, we're, we can cover the population of Munster. So we're, we're currently providing air ambulance support to 1.4 million people in Munster. Uh, for a little over one and a half million euro a year. So we, we know that that is offering tremendous value. And again, I, that's one of the conversations that we had with the minister and something mm. that he obviously took on board and, and, and supported was the, the fact that in terms of value for money, uh, we're, we're really delivering a, an excellent service. And remind us how much each tasking or operation costs on average. Yeah, so our, our average taskings every year is just a little under 500, as we know from last year, and our running costs for the helicopter service is just over 1.5 million. So that breaks down to an average cost of 3,500 euro per tasking. Um, so that includes, for example, the cost of our fuel and the cost of our flying time and the fact that we're up in the air. So it really kind of brings everything into it, the cost of the helicopter, the cost of the fuel. But again, compared to uh, other contracts that might be out there, it's 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 really genuinely phenomenal value for money. And then if, if anybody does want to support you, where can they find you or where, where can they donate? People can donate on our website. So it's www.icrr.ie forward slash donate. And the other thing that we would ask people is to look at following us on Facebook because like a lot of charities, we have events happening all the time through, through Facebook and uh, people can sign up for our, our next one, which will be in May, and they can get on board and they can help us to fundraise. And one of the things that we would ask as well, there's a, a lot of companies based in Cork and people are doing a lot of staff events and fundraising through their online, through their teams or their WebEx platforms. So we would love to talk to any companies in Cork as well who have an interest in, in getting on board, either sponsoring us, getting involved in a partnership with us or their staff helping us to fundraise. 
Brilliant. Michal Sheridan, listen, thanks very much for joining us on this morning's Opinion Line. This Saturday, join Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie for the excitement of the Premier League powered by Talk Sport. We'll bring you exclusive live coverage of Manchester City v Leeds United at 12.30, Liverpool v Aston Villa at 3pm, then it's Crystal Palace v Chelsea at 5.30. The Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96fm.ie. More to come after the break here on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back, Fiona here in for PJ. Now, we had a call from a lady who was very upset that she'll not be able to make her vaccine appointment today as she has a tummy bug. Surprisingly, there's no info online about how to cancel and reschedule for an unavoidable no-show. Now, we did ask Dr. John Sheehan, and he said she should be able to reschedule this appointment via her consultant's or GP's secretary, whichever one set up the appointment. I hope that uh, helps, that that gives you the information that you needed, and hopefully you're feeling a little bit better soon. Now, the parents of an 11-year-old Cork boy who've started, uh, have started a fundraising campaign for the dog companion charity My Canine Companion. June and Tony Hackett are fundraising in the hope that son James, who has autism, will soon get his own dog companion. I caught up with them in the past few days and they told me what a difference it would make to James. June and Tony, thanks for joining me. Just tell me a little bit about James. He has autism. Uh, just tell me how that's affecting him and your family lifestyle. James has severe autism. He's non-verbal. He goes to St. Gabriel's school. He's 11 years of age. Lockdown was very hard for him. He enjoys walking. He's very high sensory needs. He's very tactile. He needs to touch everything above average sensory needs. And why would a dog companion work for him, do you think? What difference would it make to his life? We were speaking in MCT about a dog for James and the benefits what a dog would give him, give to James's life. Change his health, change, change his life, help him, give him a friend, and give him more independence for himself. And also, James is a flight risk when we're out walking. He loves, he loves to be out walking for hours. He, he is a flight risk, and the older he's getting, the worse, the worse he's getting at being a flight risk. What age is he now? He, he's 11. You kind of need to get this dog as soon as possible then, so really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're hoping to get the dog through uh, my canine companion and you're raising funds for the charity. Just tell me a little bit about the fundraiser first and why you've decided uh, to raise funds for them. June's dog, Extensa, started a virtual run and walk of Ireland challenge from Mizzenhead to Mallinhead. Uh, you walk a mile, a mile a day for 30 days. And how can people support you then? Or how can people support the charity, My Canine Companion, through this fundraiser? We have sponsor cards if anybody would like to participate in the walk. And they're doing links on Facebook, putting up the, the steps and the miles that they're after covering on Facebook, raising the sponsorship. James is a student at uh, Bishopstown... Uh, Gabriel Special Needs School in Bishopstown. And he was with the Rainbow Club in Mahan as well, was he? Yeah, the, the Rainbow Club in Town and have been very good to us over the lockdown with all the help they're after giving us. 
You mentioned there that the lockdown really affected him. Um, is that just because his routine was... Um, yeah, his routine was all changed and basically, yeah, that's it. His routine was upended as such. And how is he now? He's, he's getting better. His, his routine is coming back slowly with the, school, with the schools reopening and he's still doing his plenty of work. He goes to work up in Javatiric around Granabraha out in When are you doing this uh, fundraiser, the walk from Mallon to Mizzen? It started yesterday, the 1st of April, and it's going to go on for the month of April. Brilliant. And are you doing it by yourself, June? The three of us are doing it together yeah. as, as a family, and a lot of my work colleagues are after coming on board as well and taking a card and helping us with the sponsorship as well. Brilliant. And you're just kind of walking um, a mile around your house or something, is it? Yeah, we do more anyway. We do, as I said, we do a lot of walking with James, so we clock up as much miles as we can over the course of the month. Fantastic, fantastic. And for people who don't know what My Canine Companion is, uh, just tell us a little bit about what that is. It's it's service. My Canine Companion, the the trained dog, the therapy dogs and companion dogs for uh, people with autism. I've seen people train the dogs and the training of the dogs and the understanding of the dogs for the children's needs is brilliant. It's fantastic to see. So I'm hoping James will be in a position that if we if we're lucky enough to get a dog for him, that the dog will help James in this way. Is will help with the sensory needs at home, which he's struggling with at the moment, and it will help him with his routine as well and just his daily his daily lifestyle. Fantastic, brilliant. No, they're an amazing charity and they do great work for so many families around Cork. So listen, thanks very much, guys. Best of luck with the walk. Yes, uh, we'd just like to thank everyone that's after donating as well for, and for, for to help us with James at the moment as well. Brilliant. People's generosity is after being brilliant. Such a lovely family and thanks to June and Tony for chatting to me and I do hope James gets, James gets his dog companion soon. The best of luck to them with their fundraiser. Now the numbers to call 1-850-715-996 text 083-396-96 opinion or the email is opinion at 96fm.ie you remember the names Hassan and Hussein Ben Hafaf. They're the Cork twins who were born conjoined in 2009. At just four months old they underwent life-changing surgery at London's Great Ormond Street Hospital. We followed their story with interest over the Years and at the weekend, they featured in a new documentary on RTE, My Story Hassan and Hussein Born Connected, which is available to watch now on RTE Player. Have a listen to this little clip first. I'm Hussein, I love playing basketball and being at the beach. I'm Hassan, I like, I love messing with my friends and doing athletics. We're twins, we're 10 years old, and we're double trouble. <laughs> double trouble. Angie, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the opinion line. Good morning, thank you. Angie, how are the boys? They were in great spirits after the weekend, I must say, and they were very pleased with their little documentary. Just tell me a little bit about the documentary. What was the whole idea behind it? Um, I was approached last year by RT Documentaries to just say that um, they would love to feature the boys in this little mini-series. And it just, I suppose, over the years, you know, if the boys had any little interviews... They were so shy and live audiences and so forth, you know, I think mm. their little personalities never truly came true. So once they were told um, that they would get to borrow a little camcorder for a few weeks 
and kind of, you know, be left to their own devices of filming and, you know, um, doing what they wanted to be seen on the documentary and to show, you know, all the things they can do rather than, you know, things that people think potentially they can't. It just gave them a, a wonderful little uh, opportunity to show their true personalities, I think, and the many sports and many little achievements that they have, you know. So it was it was lovely. It was really uh, inspiring. And why did you guys have to do the filming yourselves? <laughs> so, um, COVID, the big C word. <laughs> um, so that kind of suited us, to be honest, because, you know, it's it's not, I suppose, you know, especially the boys, they'd kind of be allergic to cameras and mm. so forth. So it did kind of suit us in the long run that, um, you know, we did have the little camcorder ourselves and, you know, that we filmed at times that were convenient because it's a busy house, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, it also, I suppose, because we knew that this little documentary would be shown worldwide in different languages, it also gave us a lovely opportunity to kind of pick different areas of Cork to kind of showcase on it and promote, you know, in a sneaky way. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's various places like the old head of King Sale and Gary Vaux and, you know, our own hometown of Carrick too. So it was lovely to kind of show the beauty of where we live as well. And um, in the film, the boys are building up to a challenge. What was that? Tell us a little bit about the challenge. Oh, God, they don't do anything by halves, you know. <laughs> um, so they challenged themselves to climb, uh, I think it was a 60-foot wall in uh, Awesome Walls in Model Farm Road. Right. And, um, yeah, I know my nerves don't be able times <laughs> too. And, um, you know, so they, they got a taste of wall climbing many years back um, when they were in Barrettstown, actually, and they asked, could they do it? And you're you're kind of looking at them, you know, you know, they've one limb, as you know, and uh, the one the one leg, and they said, can we do wall climbing? And I said, you know, go for it, because I suppose we never really, uh, you know, stop them from doing things that they've asked to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've tried many sports, and, you know, uh, this wall climbing challenge was another just uh, notch <laughs> up for them, you know. So they wanted to try it, and uh, they said that they wanted to find the biggest wall, you know, so they actually, um, the wall they did climb was, you know, an adult level wall. Uh, it was quite a tough one. And um, about five weeks before this challenge, Hassan broke his shoulder when he fell in the playground. Oh, no. Yeah, but he was still determined to do it because he said there's no way that, you know, Hussein is doing it and I'm not because they're always like challenging each other, you know, and he couldn't have Hussein have one up on him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they... they climbed up to the very top, tipped the, the rooftop of the wall climb and um, they just literally flew up it and it's it's incredible to watch. I mean, I have two legs and I, I can't even get a little bit up the wall, you know. Um, <laughs> and are they so competitive with each other like that? You you know. Oh my God, <laughs> unreal. Unreal. Like they do athletics as well over the past kind of four years. And, um, you know, I, there's great banter every time they used to have competitions, you know, before COVID again. Um, they used to go all over the country competing, doing athletics like discus, javelin, shot put and track racing. And they're really sporty little guys, but they never cared, you know, what other child beat them at anything once they beat each other. So it's it's always really funny. They'd ask um, the adjudicators, what did my brother score, you know, and then they'd try to <laughs> get one up on him. So it's always great fun to go anywhere with them, you know. Uh, they, they're a lot of fun and a lot of life in them, you know. And they are very sporty. And um, you were saying that uh, they're hoping to become Paralympians. Is that right? Yeah, well, they started training, actually, as young Paralympians just before uh, lockdown started last year. 
Um, and uh, they were under the watchful eye of Pat Furlong. And, um, you know, they take their sport very seriously. You know, even though they're two little messers, um, when it comes to their sports, they are very dedicated. And, um, you know, they've even been practicing all these, you know, months. They've been practicing their uh, discus throwing. And um, I suppose still trying to keep fit, you know, despite everything being closed. And um, it is their dream to represent Ireland one day in the Paralympics. And, uh, you know... I suppose anything they put their mind to, you know, they can achieve really. And, you know, they have great support in uh, in all of us here. And did you all sit down and watch the documentary yesterday? And how did they react when they saw themselves? Uh, well, they literally put their hoodies right down over their faces. <laughs> <laughs> they did, yeah. They were mad giddy watching it. And, uh, you know, we just watched it as a family in the sitting room here. And uh, the, the phones were hopping, of course, and uh, got a lot, lot of wonderful, you know, feedback on it. And um, I suppose a lot of close friends just loved that the boys' true personalities kind of came across in it from the start, you know. Yeah. Um, like Hassan is always, my God, since he was in the womb, I think really, <laughs> Hassan has always been the little, you know, cheeky chappy and just an absolute rogue. And even my brother said recently, when he sees Hassan, you know, that he has that glint in his eye that either means that he's about to get into mischief or he's just finished <laughs> up, you know. Whereas Hussein is definitely the, the shyer, quieter one. And, you know, you can truly see that as well in the documentary, you know. But, um, there and as their mother watching it, you must have been very proud. I am, you know. I mean, you know, I hasn't been in the easy 11 years by no means, you mm. know. I'm, I'm, they've had over 50 surgeries, which... Each one breaks my heart, if I'm honest, you know, and another major surgery coming up next month for Hassan, um, which will have a very long recovery time. And, you know, that's never easy to watch. So when you see them, you know, in a documentary like this, just so full of hope and so full of dreams and planning their little futures. And, you know, they love their um, making their TikTok videos and their gaming and just typical 11 year old little boys you know that love their friends and you know love just normal things in life so when you see that documentary yesterday of I suppose where we started out with very little hope of them even surviving the birth and then surviving the 14 hour surgery to separate them and to go on then and you know have so many sporting achievements as well Mm -hmm. and you know they do wheelchair basketball with the rebel wheelers and they do um, athletics they've learned to swim um, you know, hobbies include wall climbing and um, they love cannonball as well, you know, all the fast cars. Um, so, I mean, I can't keep up with them. <laughs> to I be honest, I'm like... exhausted watching. <laughs> I suppose it was really nice to see their relationship with other family members, including their two sisters. Yeah, their sisters are incredible. I, spe- I suppose, you know, it hasn't been an easy 11 years either for the big sisters because, yeah. you know, from a young age, they were brought to Great Ormond Street for months and, you know, life has been on the road a lot, I suppose, between hospitals and everything else that has just been non-stop and they're just so supportive. I mean, Malika has never, ever missed one of their athletic competitions. She just is there every step of the way, wanting to be there, supporting them. And, you know, she just absolutely loves watching them and, you know, just seeing them together and just achieve so much. Um, And again, I suppose, you know, she was at an age where she was old enough 
to remember, you know, everything they have gone through, mm. you know, and Iman then is that, you know, lovable sister that, you know, they wreck each other's heads <laughs> <laughs> and typical family life, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's fabulous. They're a great little bunch, you know, and I am very, very blessed to have the four of them, you know, and, um, you know, despite the years has been, you know, they've just got on with it. You know, mm. I think that the kids really in this whole past year, I think there's great credit due to children, you know. Yeah. Brilliant, Angie. Listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line in Cork's 96FM this morning. And a reminder that My Story, Hassan and Hussein Born Connected, which is available to watch now on RTE Player. Now, before we finish up today, um, you may have heard in the news there that Cork woman Mary McGrath came into the world on Easter Monday 1916 and she sadly left the world on Easter Monday 2021. She survived two world wars, the Spanish flu pandemic, and her advice for surviving this pandemic was not to worry. Uh, she had been living at O'Leary Place and last year neighbours gathered for a socially distant party for her 104th birthday and I was at it and I just wanted to play this little piece in memory of Mary. I'll tell you the secret. I never will never. I was always very happy. And is there any advice you give to people now with everything going on at the moment, the way things are? Oh, you couldn't advise them now. They're going beyond this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're going beyond this. Yeah, not thing? to worry. Not yeah. to worry. And everything would be smack smooth. You've great old memories. A happy, a happy memories. Yeah. Not like no. <laughs> you know. Not like no. No more will I go all around the world, cause I have found my world in you. <laughs> I'm very bad to hear. Hey. <laughs> I'm very bad to hear. <laughs> Rest in peace, Mary. A lovely lady, and I'm sure she'll be missed and remembered by many. And that's it. Thanks to my thanks again to Wayne Hilton for helping me out. And the show, of course, was edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Back with you just after nine tomorrow morning. Have a lovely day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.